thought leaders, storytellers and griots sharing personal highlights on Stories of the Week. So thanks very much to Tabo and Bloom for his amazing choice of song tribute to Babita Diokaran and that was Herbie Hancock featuring Pink and John Legend with their version, great version I must say of Don't Give Up. Matilda, I know that you want the details of the Maharishi Institute. We've had a couple of people asking for those details. So the phone number is 064-356-812. And if you want to go onto the website, it is Maharishi Institute, M-A-H-A-R-I-S-H-I, institute.org. Go check it out. See what they're doing. See what they're doing in the CBD. It's a really exciting thought when we talk to education and we talk to tipping the scale with regards to for young people getting work. So we're going to stay with that idea of work, but uh, look more broadly at the systemic process of getting work and uh, not just focusing on jobs, 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 but trying to understand what the system is as well. Shami Surya Narain is the Chief Impact Officer at the Harambi Youth Employment Accelerator. Harambi has been around for a while. They originally started by providing uh, jobs and providing work for people who were going to go and work in Nando's and it was for the grillers and the the staff that were working there. They've now gone on to do some really extraordinary work, uh, both locally but also globally, focusing on the systems. And some new research has just come out, which, of course, blew our producers and myself away once we started to look at it. Sharmi, as always, a delight to speak to you. Thank you for joining us. Good morning, Michelle. Great to have to be on the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. There were some key insights that came out in your research that like sort of made my head spin around on my body because I was like, okay, this really does talk to the challenges for young women when it comes to the creation of work and to the opportunities that are available. Talk to us about um, some of those insights. Sure, absolutely. So if you look at the labor market, um, we see time and time again, women are outperforming men in education. So on average, women are getting more metrics for every uh, group of young men. So for actually every 100 young men in South Africa that are under 35 with a metric, there are 112 young women with the same. And um, there's about 50% more young women than young men with a degree equivalent. And yet when you come to the labor market, you don't see the same thing. Men are employed at disproportionately higher levels than women. And that number has not changed and continues to change for men even post pandemic, but that isn't changing for women. So why do you think that's happening? Well, we see that there's obvious, uh, well, firstly, education always doesn't only correlate to employment. There's many things. There's many factors, systemic factors, young women actually having to do two or three jobs at home. Most of the time they have to take care of household duties. They have less time to work, look for work, less time to do work. And there are actually systemic gender barriers that are at play here. There's no question that women's tenacity in finding education and finding work is obvious. The, the data doesn't lie. Um, you know, and this is just data from the South African Labor Force Survey. If you look at Harambe's own data, we try and advocate to disproportionately, all things being equal, hire more women. And it, it pans out. So we actually see young people on our network begging, young women for, on our network begging to, to, to ask to be employed because they're coming in, in the droves 
putting up their hand for work, even though the barriers that they face, both in terms of gender barriers, household care obligations, and existing stereotypes that exist in terms of what women can do, um, keep them back. You know, the line of that first insight, that key insight, more educated, more tenacious, but less employed, just uh, really does raise big flags, red flags, to how people are offering work and and where that work is coming from. What do you think is happening in the private sector that this is the case? Well, it's the saying goes, right, that women have to work twice as hard um, to be proven half as good. And that's we're seeing that in the data. We're seeing it in the data. We're seeing that employers are looking for more success and proven success from young women. We know that because of gender stereotypes. We see how, we see that play out in the data. We see how employers treat young women when they come in, yeah. looking at the three or four jobs that they actually do um, as, a, as a barrier and a setback rather than as an advantage. Young women that can handle so much adversity and can handle so much at the home and at work should be seen as an advantage to the workplace. And that isn't translating into the numbers in terms of entry-level hires. And yet, when we look at uh, some of your other insights, there's one that um, I see looked at um, that when you do open a door into what is considered to be a male-dominated sector, we're seeing women streaming through. So I'm imagining in areas, I I mean, I stand to be corrected on this, but areas like engineering, etc., that women are streaming through. Absolutely. We, I have another saying, you know, you've got to widen the gate, not lower the bar. So it's not as though you're changing expectations and dropping standards, but you're actually making very calculated decisions on how you include women. We have two examples, one in the installation repair and maintenance sector, yeah. which is a growing sector. It's very male-dominated. Dom- male you don't hear a lot of a lot of women plumbers. We partnered with um, the industry body, IOPSA, to work on specifically that issue of underrepresented women. And women came knocking at the door. Not only did they come knocking at the door, they streamed in, performed really well and excelled and are now um, succeeding in the workplace. And I think employers need to sort of shift their mindset in terms of what does designing a doorway for young women look like? It's about accommodating the myriad of obligations they have and seeing that as an advantage, being very intentional about being inclusive with gender training and practices. We've seen that work in the IRM sector. It can work in other sectors. So we do see that if you're intentional and make this barrier, actually turn it into an advantage to recruit more women, it can have huge impacts for the business as well. What about flexibility of work? I mean, has that been of value to women or not? Yes, it has, but it has to be systematized. So we do have uh, we do a lot of work with the in the gig economy, and we see that young women are taking advantage of it, but still young men are paces ahead for many reasons care obligations and time to look for work, flexibility around accessing data is a big factor. But there's a couple of things that are also at play here. We have a great example with the DBE teaching assistant program, which, by the way, was 70% female with 26,000 schools across the country. Um, young women, uh, we have, I'll tell the story of a young woman named Charmaine who took up a teaching assistant program um, job and then through that peer network found um, a gig job after to sell, to do digital reselling in her township. 
with some really basic inputs and suggestions on how she could use that job flexibly. She had a young child at home. She couldn't actually get a day job that required her to be in the office. But doing this sort of digital reselling, which allowed her to make, take advantage of her social capital. She knew exactly what was happening in the townships. She knew exactly who her neighbors were and what they needed. She became the top earner for Pretty, the digital reselling app, hmm. within a few weeks. So um, it does require a little bit of intention, but young women have social capital, networks, etc., that can be turned to great advantage, even in the gig economy. But we do have to be be careful to make it a sustainable income for them. You know, Sharmi, I mean, I love the work that Harambia is doing. In, the, in fact, how you've gone from a very specific process to a more systemic approach uh, with regards to how we look at work, how we look at work creation and the like. How is that working for Harambi and uh, are we seeing a shift at all? We definitely are. I mean, the practices of inclusive hiring are being adopted widely with more employers, with more employer sectors. We started out with great success in the global business services sector. We're looking at it in digital, in plumbing, in installation repair and maintenance, etc. It's still not enough. We do need to be doing more. I mean, we, we're in a jobless growth economy. It is a very difficult time and space. So we have to redouble our efforts. We may have created millions of opportunities for young people to date, but that actually requires us to, to 10x that in the next few years. So we do call on employers, institutions, and a whole range of other bodies to think of inclusive hiring, not as, as um, an obligation, but as an opportunity to really turn our economies and societies around. Because we've seen time and time again, young women, to run run through that door, provide huge impacts in terms of return on investment for the businesses. Shami, we're going to leave it there and we apologize for the quality of that line. Shami Surya Naren is the Chief Impact Officer at Harambi Youth Employment Accelerator. Interesting one, that we see more educated, more tenacious women, women outperforming their male counterparts in education and yet being less employed. And it does raise questions of what the employer is looking for and why they are making those choices, whereas they could go for a far more diversified space, looking at race, looking at age, looking at women and the like. So 10 to 8, you are with SAFM 104 to 107.